Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Kill Count. Before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to mention that The Invisible Man is now available on streaming. Back in our first episode, we did a deep dive into the 1933 original Invisible Man film, but we also had the opportunity to catch up with the director of the new film, Lee Winnell. We all really enjoyed this film, we thought it was a fun, fresh take on this original property, and if you didn't get the chance to see it in cinemas, it's now available on streaming, anywhere you watch your streaming films. So go and have a watch. And now, on to the podcast. They're like evil Brexit voters, that's what they're like. No luck catching them killers then. It's just the one killer, actually. The ensemble cast is so great, and there's so many wonderful cameos. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. Hello and welcome to Kill Count, a podcast that tallies up some of the deaths of your favourite horror movies. Each episode we dissect a horror gem from Jordan Peele to peeled skin and cocked guns with Hitchcock. We are there. My name is Dan, I'm the Crypt Keeper this week, and will be guiding us through the slayings of the sublime Hot Fuzz. Ahead of recording, I asked my co-host the Kill Count for today's film, and we will now see just how close they were to being correct. Joining me, as always, we have the Grand High Witch herself, Ali Penelope. Hello, Ali. Oh, that was, that was how I want to be introduced in every scenario. <laughs> Professional and non. <laughs> we also have the nefarious and ghoulish Mike Munzer. Hi, Mike. <laughs> ghoulish, I like that. I do feel pretty ghoulish right now. It's very early in the morning. I, I had to dive into into the thesaurus for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, as mentioned, today, the big hot fuzz. But in a place where not much goes on. Watch this. <laughs> a whole lot is about to go down. Three people have died in a week. Accidents happen all the time. What makes you think it was murder? There hasn't been a murder in 20 years. I want to get it straight out of the way because I think we forgot last last week. The guesses. Can you guys remember what your guesses were? I, I guess seven. Oh, I think I guess seven as well. Oh my goodness. You did. You did. I think this might be a first. Wow. Okay. Does that mean we're both right, do you think? Or are we both just completely wrong? Let's see. Did you put any thought into your <laughs> into your guesses or was it like a lucky dip? Um, I felt like it wasn't very low, but I also felt like it equally wasn't super high. So seven felt like a nice number in the middle. Yeah, same really. I kind of vaguely in my head tried to name as many people as I could that, that were were killed off in hot fuzz and thought, ah, oh, there's maybe one or two more and just, yeah, just sort of landed on seven really. That makes sense. Because I think actually, um, whilst researching the film, it has quite a good structure and rhythm to the kills, this film. But I will tell you, it's going to be a bit bumpy in certain areas. A few curveballs. 
Interesting. All right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong or that you're right. Just there will be some curveballs. So the film Hot Fuzz, this very niche, small, tiny film that no one's ever seen or heard of. <laughs> it's huge, isn't it? I mean, I felt kind of silly even writing an introduction to this film because uh, certainly in the circles I'm in socially, everyone knows it. It's quotable. Everyone loves it. Do you guys fall into that category as well? Or I mean, it's a very British film. I'm sure we're going to talk about how they've achieved that. <laughs> but despite that, it definitely made it to the States. I mean, Edgar Wright is a popular name in the States. The Cornetto trilogy is big there. And I think they were all released. I, th- I mean, I definitely saw this film and and um, its, pre- its predecessor and the successor in the States. So yeah, it's massive. It's international. Yeah, it's. I've, I've kind of always loved this film since it was first released. Uh, I think it is one of those films that is impossible to avoid now. It does seem like it's on television. It's on ITV2 or something almost every other week, it feels like. I think, you know, I always kind of thought of Shaun of the Dead as my as being my favourite Edgar Wright film. But actually, I think this one is probably the one I've seen the most and maybe know the best now out of all of his films, just because it's everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was going to ask that exactly what, whether, what your favourite one of the trilogy is. For me, I think it actually has to be Hot Fuzz with Shaun of the Dead, a close second. Is that the same for you, Ali? So Shaun of the Dead is a masterpiece, of course. But I, my least favorite subgenre of horror films is zombies. Um, I just don't care for them that much. And so I think that's what takes Hot Fuzz to first because I'm here for the small town vibes. Mm. I love the buddy cop element. Um, and I just think it takes all of the best elements of Shaun of the Dead and it just expands them and, and takes them even further. And I feel like also this film is like a love letter that Edgar Wright was writing to his hometown and you you can sense that. And so, yeah, it's incomparably, it's the first, uh, first choice for me out of all of his films. I would agree. Uh, Shaun of the Dead was so strong, but Edgar sort of like learned some things on that journey making that movie that he then in, um, implemented in Hot Fuzz. And you're right, it was just a slight notch above. Mike, one question that might be on the listener's mind. Why are we talking about Hot Fuzz on a horror podcast? What qualifies Hot Fuzz as a horror movie? Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's obviously very debatable. Uh, you know, I'd say first and foremost, this movie is a a comedy i suppose and there is elements of uh there are elements of buddy cop movies definitely mm-hmm. um they even overtly reference films like point break and i think it, it's definitely kind of going for that vibe but there's also a hell of a lot of gore and dead bodies piling up and i think actually this movie you know we talked about zombies as a subgenre with Shaun of the dead i think if this movie was going for a particular subgenre of horror it's going for folk horror, which mm. is this really kind of unusual, predominantly British uh, subgenre of horror, which deals in kind of small village mentality and cults and things like that. And the most famous of which being The Wicker Man. And I think actually this movie is definitely referencing folk horror movies like The Wicker Man. We've even got Edward Woodward in this movie. So it's definitely valid to talk about Hot Fuzz in a horror context because there's there's a hell of a lot of horror in this. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, there you go. For all the listeners wondering why the hell we're talking about this, folk horror. And thank you as well for bringing up the thread of actors that have done and achieved amazing things and appeared in amazing movies previously appearing in this movie because there were some other ones I'm going to quiz you guys on to see if you know what they've been in. Oh, they're all so British, though. <laughs> That's true. You are at a disadvantage, <laughs> Ali, to be fair. There's one in particular I have in mind, Ali, that I know, I'm pretty sure you've seen this movie. Okay, so... great. Well, you can shame me later then. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we can get into this movie. So we begin uh, meeting our hero, 
Nicholas Angel or Angle, uh, who is an outstanding police officer in London. And we have a very nice, typically Edgar Wright montage that shows him being outstanding, acing the cycling proficiency test, written exams, being stabbed by Santa, who is played by... Oh, I know this one. I know this one. Go on. It's Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, yes. There's going to be like a separate <laughs> game here of cameos. Amazing. In Hot Fuzz. Um, being stabbed by Santa and field maneuvers. Now... Uh, I'm I'm going to leave uh, a bigger debate at the end for is it a kill, is it not a kill? But already in the montage, there's arguably a kill. Do you remember? No. Oh my God, I do not remember. Oh man. Yeah, this is what I mean. We see Angel uh, bust in on these unsuspecting criminals in some dingy little uh, hideout. And he lets out a few shots with a rifle at about two or three meters distance. Oh, those guys are fine. I don't know what you're talking about. They're fine. They'll be fine. You think? I mean, I feel like it doesn't, it's not an explicit on-screen death, but as you say, arguably, they were blown away, quite literally. We can put it in the maybe pile for now. Sure, sure. I think if we if we end the film on six, <laughs> then you may want to may want to <laughs> argue for this one. We'll throw that in the maybe pile for now. So after uh, his outstanding performance and his commitment to the badge, he is promoted to rank of sergeant uh, on the proviso that he must move to the sleepy little town of Sanford, Gloucestershire. Because he's basically making everyone look bad, isn't he? And there's that very funny scene. Now, I know what you're going to say, but the fact is, you've been making us all look bad. I'm sorry, sir? Of course, we all appreciate your efforts, but you've been rather letting the side down. It's all about being a team player, Nicholas. You can't be the Sheriff of London. If we let you carry on running around town, you'll continue to be exceptional, and we can't have that. You'll put us all out of a job. With respect, sir, you can't just make people disappear. Yes, I can. I'm the chief inspector. I'm surprised they got three huge names of British comedy in for that scene. Martin Freeman, Steve Coogan and Bill Knight. I'm kind of sad they're not in the movie more, but I don't know if that would ruin their presence in it. Don't know what you guys think. I mean, it's definitely a running gag in this trilogy, isn't it? That we have these little cameos from kind of British comedy royalty throughout. And mm. uh, I think it's nice just seeing them for, for a moment or two. And actually, I think Martin Freeman is one of a handful of actors that's actually in all three of the Cornetto trilogy in some form or another. Oh, yeah. So he's, I think he's quite a big, he's quite a major role in The World's End. But in Shaun of the Dead, he's very briefly, fleetingly, uh, in that moment when the cast of Shaun of the Dead run into another cast of kind of similar characters and, and Martin Freeman is in that lineup. So yeah, he actually appears in, in all three movies. Yeah, oh, that's, that's such a good gag, that one. Where they, their opposites just kind of nod at each other as they're crossing. <laughs> that's so, so good. good. So Nicholas begrudgingly uh, moves out to the sticks and meets an array of colourful characters that make up the local police force, but also uh, various other important townsfolk like the manager of the supermarket and people that work in the hotel, etc. And this is where I wanted to briefly talk about one of these actors that has appeared in a very big horror film. Does anyone have any inkling or should I give you a clue as to who I'm referring to? Mm. Which which moment in Hot Fuzz is this, sorry? So this is around the time when um, Nicholas Angel arrives in Sanford late at night and he's checking in. I was hoping to uh, check in. Check in? But you've always been here. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were my husband. You must be Sergeant Angel. Yes, I am. I'm Joyce Cooper. I trust you had a pleasant trip. Fascist. I beg your pardon? System of government 
characterized by extreme dictatorship. Seven across. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. Now, we've put you in the castle suite. Bernard will escort you up there. Well, uh, actually, I could probably make my own way up. Hag. I beg your pardon? Evil old woman considered frightful or ugly. It's 12 down. Oh, bless you. Is it, um, is it Billy Whitelaw? That's the one. Yes. I remember she was in there somewhere. Do you want to explain uh, a little bit about her her past, Mike? Yeah, Billy Whitelaw is she's quite a famous British actress, character actress, but probably most famously in the horror genre. She is in, I believe, The Omen, the original The Omen. Uh, she's the very scary mm. new nanny uh, who is kind of one of the devil's sort of uh, acolytes, I suppose. Uh, that's right, isn't it? That is right. Yeah, there we go. So it's, I think it's a testament to, to Edgar Wright's just love of, of cinema that he gets these actors in. And also, you, unless you're like horror aficionados, you just wouldn't really know that about her would you as you say she's she's a character actress she doesn't have like maybe with timothy dalton people recognize given that he's been james bond but billy whitelaw isn't quite that level so it's like one for the fans but i also think that it works on two levels because um if you don't know who these these cameos are for example if you didn't know it's peter jackson in the santa suit watching him get stabbed in the hand by santa is still a funny gag yeah. it's still works for the you know the audience that doesn't go in with all of that knowledge about especially for an international audience where you have a lot of british cameos for me it was still really enjoyable even if i had you know i didn't know the inside joke Mm -hmm. it's just like this extra layer that you can discover at some point so as time goes by uh nicholas befriends fellow police officer danny butterman whose father is the high-ranking inspector uh played by nick frost and jude broadbent respectively he's gone Oh my God! Who's gone? But why are you dressed like a police officer? Because I am one. Ah, Sergeant Angel at last, Frank Butterman. Oh. I see you've already met my boy. Yes. So we we put that early on montage kill in the maybe pile, but do we know what the first kill that properly kicks off the film is? Uh, it's two. It's two kills. It is. Yep. Yep. It's well. I don't remember the characters' names, but it's the really shitty actor, the Shakespearean actor wannabe, who is also a solicitor, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. And then his anno- Well, he's not really supposed to be dating her because he's a married man, but his annoying supposed girlfriend, um, who works for the local council. Yes. Uh, the characters are Martin Blower and Eve Draper. They are pulled over by Nicholas and Danny earlier on in the day. For speeding and then uh, as a thank you they get given tickets to this amateur performance of Remy and Juliet it is terrible and then we see them uh, get butchered wizard mm. <laughs> you haven't got long to us wizard <laughs> And then it gets set up as uh, a car accident uh, that they've both been de- decaffeinated um, out on the road somewhere. <laughs> and everyone dismisses it as an accident. But of course, this is the first instant when Nicholas begins to suspect that something sinister is at play. How far into the film is this kill? Because I feel like we talked about a lot of horror films where actually getting to the kill count takes about 45 minutes to an hour. But they streamline this so well. And I think that that's just a testament to 
Edgar Wright's ability to, in, in such a fun way, give exposition and just get you right into things. I mean, we've talked a lot about the montage editing so far, but I feel like how we've gotten from point A to where we are now, I've always just kind of marveled at how uh, efficient of a visual storyteller he is. Yeah. I, I haven't even noted uh, the, the time this, these kills take place, but you're right that it is. Certainly for this podcast, it's a lot earlier on than other films we've covered. And it really, as you said, the structure and the rhythm of these kills and the story is just watertight. It's so strong. Yeah, he's like the master of, of pacing, I think, Edgar Wright, isn't he? And like you say, Ali, everything in his films, they, f- they feel like they're moving all the time. And that is literally a lot of the time. Like the camera is constantly swooshing and everything is moving and there's montages, but it's just really really kind of easy and satisfying to watch in that way Mm, yeah no and it's also it just um blink and you'll miss it it's just one of those things where there's a joke a minute and you know you can appreciate i felt like i was appreciating every fifth joke and then i'd have to go back and rewatch it again and again no wonder it's on itv all the time because i feel like people (laughs) need to need to catch up on all the jokes they probably missed the first six viewings because it's so tightly scripted and I'm sure that there was some improv and some throw around, but it also feels like they really tightly got that script down and then they knew exactly what they wanted. Definitely. So in honor of that rhythm, I'm going to segue right into the the next kill already. Can we remember what that one is? Is it the old rich guy in his mansion or am I missing one? That's absolutely right. Yeah. George Merchant blown up in uh, his mansion that wasn't in keeping with the village's rustic aesthetic. Well, I won't argue that it was a no-holds-barred, adrenaline-fueled thrill ride, but there's no way you could perpetrate that amount of carnage and mayhem and not incur a considerable amount of paperwork. That is nothing, man. This is about to go off. That one uh, we can list as either third or fourth kill, depending on that first one, if we want to count it or not. Nicholas's uh, suspicion increases, obviously, anything. There's a connection between uh, the double murder of the actors and um, George Merchant, at which point the local journalist, Tim Messenger, approaches him at the church and says he has some information. Mike, I don't know if you could help with this. Uh, There's this, I don't even know if it's like a joke, really, which kind of adds to the beauty of Hot Fuzz. A lot of the characters from Samford, their surnames end with ER. Is that a thing? Hmm. Why are you asking Mike? Because my surname is Munther. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even, I didn't even clock that. But yeah, I guess, I guess you're the most qualified Mike. Um, what a qualification. Uh, I don't know. No, I actually have no idea. I've never clocked that before. Because we have Blower, Draper, Messenger, Skinner. So is it more that they're just kind of plays on work? Like they're kind of puns? They're archetypes almost. Yeah, they're archetypes. Exactly. I suppose it's more what comes before the ER. It's Messenger, Skinner, etc. Um, Ali, what do you think? Is that is that more the, the reason, do you think? Yeah, I mean, this... The village is just filled with this colorful cast of characters, which so my my partner is from the West Country as well. And he couldn't help but watch this film with me because it's one of his favorites. And every other line, he was like, this is so real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just it felt very authentic to him, um, which was fun because I'd never watched it. <clears throat> I'd never watched it with him and that level. And also now having spent a significant amount of time in the West Country, I could... I could see how authentic this felt, whereas prior to watching this film, I'd never had the experience of of even being to England. So it felt like these people were living and breathing. But equally, it felt like they were playing on the tropes of 
what you'd expect them to be. Um, so I think, yeah, the ER is just a little kind of tongue in cheek, like, oh, he's uh, the banker. He's the merchant. He's, I guess Skinner is, I mean, he was an evil, evil man. So, yeah. <laughs> and also you've got, you've got so many characters in this film and you're moving at such a pace that giving them really basic names um, makes it a little bit easier to remember who's who. Yeah. Do you know what? I think with this film, more than any of the others we've talked about, even though I've seen this so many times, I, I struggle to remember the kills and who comes next and where they all come because there's just so many characters in this and there's so much carnage from beginning to end so tim messenger um hints to nicholas angel that he has some information that may uh shed some light on these mysterious slayings um which sets us up quite well for one of my favorite kills of the film uh ali can you remember which one that is that would be poor tim messenger where where does this kill rank for you guys uh can we talk a little bit about this kill because it's pretty special yeah and i think they set it up really nicely as well like the juxtaposition of them being at this churchyard fun fair um with the whole town it's just so quaint and so peaceful and so idyllic and it's i mean it's church so uh it's also a little holy and um I, I really like the build up to the actual kill because uh, Angel is called up to call out a number for prizes for the fair. And you have this kind of, you know, it's coming, you know, the kill is coming. He's checking the clock. He's calling out the names. Where are they? Uh, he calls out Skinner's name. Oh, he's in the toilet. But is he really? Uh, and you just, you know, it's coming. And then you get this huge reward um, when he's just like, you know, smothered. He's just completely blown to bits by a, by a piece of the church. And it's done really well with the effects, too. Because um, I, I found it really, every time I see the skill, I react. I don't know what you would call this reaction, but I just kind of shiver. Because I know it's coming, obviously. But it's just done really well. And it's also, I don't think I've ever, you don't see many kills of that nature, do you? Because I would have thought it would have just squished him completely but it gets stuck in his body and he's on his he's even stood up for a little while i think it's um it's shocking because of the genre we're in too because at this point yeah you don't necessarily know you're in for this gory schlocky horror film setup and suddenly when these kills start happening it's like wow you don't, it's just the juxtaposition of that against this quaint british comedy isn't it it's really strange and i think edgar wright you know, he's clearly such a film fan and he's grown up watching the sorts of films we've already talked about on this podcast, like Videodrome and American Werewolf and those movies we talked about as having some of the best practical gore effects. And you can tell, I think Edgar Wright is probably taking from some of his favorite movies like Evil Dead and things like that from the 80s. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that one is, again, depending on uh, how we're counting, four or five. So we are creeping up on your sevens now, guys. I'm feeling very confident. <laughs> Good. We, we need more of that on this podcast when it comes to guesses. So uh, narratively speaking, this is obviously uh, a lead that has been cut off for Nicholas because he thought he was going to gain some ground and understanding what the heck's going on. But someone has obviously seen to that. Um, but another lead is presented in Leslie Tiller. 
who uh, is the local florist who is shutting up shop and moving out. She mentions uh, something about selling property. Uh, Nicholas goes out to his car to get something and just quickly pop back in. But when he turns around, how has Leslie Tiller been killed? Mike. Is it with the like garden shears? Yes, with her own shears <laughs> yes. and chest. As far as I'm concerned, cousin says it can go and fuck. Would you just excuse me for just one second? Uh, another good kill as well because she <laughs> she gets stabbed then she turns around to look at Nicholas outside and there are these two like streams of blood just spurting out <laughs> it even gets on the camera doesn't it like, like they kind of so, they yeah. break the fourth wall a little bit in that way it's fun yeah I was reading that um, they had to make these kills so over the top because it would fit the genre in a way of, of horror comedy if they were just like, you know, someone strangling someone, that's just so plain, isn't it? And I don't think it would have helped the tone too much. It's like the horror nearly as a, the over-the-top horror as a source of comedy in itself. No, and you don't feel bad for the people who have died either in this film. Uh, people feel fairly disposable. And, and you would normally feel guilty about that if you've created a film where the drama is around, you know, caring about the characters. But here, it's very farcical and... If if the kills were played straight, it would just completely upset the tone. Absolutely, definitely. That's that's what that's something that Edgar Wright's done well for sure. So that brings us to five six ish, five point five, let's say. Um, I think now's a good time to have a little interval and let the B movie of the week uh, inject us with some happiness. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Who's, who's on duty this week? Uh, that would be me. I've gone pretty old. I've gone old school um, this week with the B-movie nice. of the week. This is um, often considered by a lot of critics as one of the 
earliest examples of a B movie. And that's because of its title, I think, more than anything. Um, so the movie I'm going to recommend this week is Cat People oh. from 1942, uh, which is actually an incredible film. Have you guys seen Cat People? Yes, it is excellent. I haven't. I haven't. It's it's so good. Um, so this was made by RKO and, and producer Val Luton and in the 1940s. And it's it's really interesting because it's it's marketed like a B movie, but really it's not at all. And uh, that's what's quite interesting about it historically, because uh, this very small movie studio at the time, RKO, wanted to cash in on all of the horror films that were doing really well in the 30s, all those monster movies. So they came up with this title, Cat People, and then they took this story from a writer that's actually this very kind of nuanced and psychological story about this woman who basically whenever she becomes sexually aroused she turns into a cat uh, which again sounds like super a, relatable oh yeah we've all been there it certainly sounds like b-movie material but weirdly the film is like this really interesting character drama and it's got lots of kind of psychological um sort of subtext and layers within it um and there's some really good characters it's also got one of the earliest examples of a jump scare a moment where a woman is being stalked by something walking home at night through an alley and then a bus pulls up it's a really really famous iconic moment now the bus pulls up next to her and the doors kind of go and it's really really loud and it's considered one of the, the earliest examples of that sort of fake jump scare that you now get in in horror films yeah so it's really interesting it was made with a kind of b-movie in mind but it's actually this really really interesting historical horror film as well so it's a bit of both there but i think cat people the title definitely suggests b-movie ali what did you think of this film i really like this film and i think it is yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you think about, I think about Tim Burton Mars Attacks, because obviously that's kind of a play on these, uh, these like sci-fi 50s, you know, it's like verb and noun. And let, that's the title, like just choose something out of a hat, a cat people. But I, I always recall the uh, swimming pool scene, because for oh, me, so that's, that's probably one of the most iconic. I feel like even if you haven't seen this film, you probably would have heard about it because it's often credited as one of the more suspenseful scenes in, in early horror cinema. And it, it is so effective uh, and so simple, and it's definitely, definitely worth a watch. Um, what's not worth the watch is the remake from, I think, the early 90s. Yeah, early 80s, I think it is. Early 80s. I think it uses like a considerable amount of like really shitty CGI or just like really bad effects. And it just, it butchers what the original uh, did so poignantly. Yeah, totally. I mean, what's really interesting about it, again, the, the reason it was kind of thought of as a B picture when they were making it, the studio, was because they gave it next to no budget. It almost has, like, it had a tiny, tiny, tiny budget. So what the director had to do was not ever show the cat people he had to kind of suggest it through shadows and soundtrack and moving and footsteps so actually what that means is that it looks now like a much much better horror film because it's 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 a bit more subtle and it's got a lot less kind of dated special effects so that kind of worked in its favor i think whereas yeah like you say ali the 80s the remake they were like let's actually show transforming into a cat and add all the cgi and all this other stuff and it's yeah pretty terrible so is, is the remake does that have the same name cat people i believe so yeah yeah, yeah. I think Malcolm McDowell is in it. Wow. Does does he turn into a cat? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you'll have to check it out. And uh, yeah, arguably the the '80s version is more of a B movie. It actually is, to be honest. <laughs> Although um, the the '80s version is directed by Paul Schrader, who who wrote Taxi Driver. So there you go. There were there are some and and Malcolm McDowell. It's got some big names attached to it. Um, but uh, it's it's not good. And you're right. Probably much more of a B movie in a way than than the movie that's generally considered one of the earliest 
previous B movies. So there you go. So that's Cat People from 1942. Thank you so much for that, Mike. Going back to Hot Fuzz, the bodies are really starting to pile up now. And Nicholas's main suspect is, of course, Simon Skinner, a manager of the local supermarché, played by Timothy Dalton. I'm a slasher and I must be stopped. You're a what? A slasher of prices. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm Simon Skinner. I run the local supermarché. Stop in and see me sometime. My discounts are criminal. Catch me later! Do you ever have it where an actor chooses a role you wouldn't expect them to, to choose? And for doing that, you just love them. Yeah, I mean, you know what Timothy Dalton, who Timothy Dalton reminded me of with this casting choice and then the way he decided to play this is it kind of reminded me of like the career trajectory for Leslie Nielsen because he is, well, he's often remembered as being like this kind of funny man who played kind of similar characters to what Timothy Dalton does in this film. Yes. But people forget that he started out as this, I mean, he was in Forbidden Planet and he was playing things really straight. And I think actually a lot of those early films he was in informed the way he he altered what he was doing on screen. But it kind of felt that way to me where it's like you can picture Timothy Dalton in his early Bond films very earnestly portraying Bond in what's kind of probably now considered to be something quite schlocky. And now he's here... Really like embracing the schlock. Absolutely. And he does it so well, doesn't he? What, what do you think about Timothy Dalton in this movie, Mike? I love him. He's so good. Uh, he's, you know, he's for some reason one of the less uh, praised Bond actors, isn't he? Yeah. But I've always thought Timothy Dalton was great. And I think he just gets to have so much fun. And you're right, Dan. I know what you mean about when you get these actors playing these sort of different sorts of roles that are clearly just involved in a project because they want to do it and have fun with it. You get that vibe from Timothy Dalton here. He just seems to be loving every second of it. Yeah, I think that's that's the best way to put it, actually. One of my favourite shots of this movie is the the one where he stops and smiles uh, in front of that picture of him as like manager of the month. And it's <laughs> like the exact same picture. So good. So he is Nicholas's uh, main suspect for all these murders. And he confronts him openly in front of all of his workforce and uh, his own colleagues on the police force. But it turns out that Simon Skinner has a solid alibi and there are no cuts on his legs. And uh, Angel's basically just made a fool of himself. So dejected, he goes back to his hotel room and is attacked by a hooded assailant, which turns out to be Lurch, played by Rory McCann of Game of Thrones fame. Yes. And Nicholas overhears the secret NWA meeting at Sanford Castle. That's Neighbourhood Watch Alliance. Also, yeah, what a great joke, right? <laughs> amazing, amazing. <laughs> it's a really good joke. Michael? Michael? Are you there? Michael? Is everything okay? Yarp. Sergeant Angel's been taken care of. Yarp. He's not gonna get back up again. Narp. He goes there to confront them, and I guess this is where there's the big reveal, and the big reveal of what uh, horror structures and frameworks are at play here in this movie. Can you remember the, the sensation of when you first experienced this reveal, Ali? I mean, the film up until this point, it has so many twists and turns. I love that there's like this red herring of um, he's actually doing this amazing police work, right? So the whole film, he's like, it's, it has to do with property development and they don't want the village to be turned into something with a strip mall. They want it to be, remain quaint and idyllic. And then actually, no, 
it's not even about that. They're just all assholes. So they're all they're all just really terrible people. And I think that that kind of is the crux of this film in a lot of ways where it, it purposely is a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. And it kind of knows it and it's playing with that. And yeah, it's so fun. So fun. It's so good, isn't it? They're like evil Brexit voters. That's what they're like, <laughs> these people. Uh, and, and, and they nail that kind of like small town English village mentality, but then also make it monstrous. It's such, it's so good. Yeah, there's the soundbite for the episode, evil Brexit people. <laughs> so there's this uh, great scene where we really get that, folk horror vibe that that mike was talking about um and this kind of slightly cult vibe as well where they, they all say greater good and they all shine their torches you should be ashamed calling yourself a community that cares oh but we do care nicholas it's all about the greater good, the greater good. how can this be for the greater good, the greater good. you see as much as i enjoyed your wild theory sergeant the truth is far less complex blower's fate was simply the result of his being an appalling actor. You murdered him for that? Well, he murdered Bill Shakespeare. What? Oh, the Dramatic Society is an important feather in our cap. You couldn't let Blower jeopardize that. Not when we had two semi-professionals waiting in the wings. Let's not forget that Greg was an extra in Straw Dogs right. and Sherry portrayed a cadaver in Prime. Yes, I know! Martin was less concerned with the reputation of the village than he was with his sordid affair with Eve Drake. And so Eve deserved to die too. Oh, she did have a very annoying laugh. <laughs> annoying. And they chase um, Nicholas down. And he is eventually bundled out of Sanford by Danny, who pretends to stab him with a ketchup packet, implores Nicholas to go back to London. But <laughs> Nicholas, unable to subdue his passion for justice and righteousness, returns to Sanford. And we have a little bit of spaghetti western as uh, Angel marches in to, to this quiet Sanford. I, I was expecting one of those little... Um, like that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that, but I was also expecting like the hay, the tumbleweed. Yeah, 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 to, like, yeah. Come over. So good. And this is a very tasty scene indeed. I would like to just ask though, does anyone die in this scene? Well, I would like to say before that, Dan, as I was watching this film and I was so chuffed with myself for guessing seven guesses because I thought surely this is in the ballpark. Where are we sitting with all of the bodies piled up in the catacombs? Oh, Alexandra. <laughs> so, I... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I... I have to confront you about this. No, no, that's fine. It's your responsibility and duty. Like this film, I had a little ace in my sleeve. I was going to leave the catacomb kills to the end. Oh, my goodness. And sort of well, bamboozle you at the end. But not today. We can we can talk about them now if you want. I, I don't think you're going to like it. No. Because there, <laughs> there are a lot of dead people in those in those catacombs. Characters that were alive in the movie and are now dead. So I, I really do have to count them. You do. Oh. You do. It's fair. And the thing was, when you're remembering this film, I mean, I'm sure Michael will agree with me here. It's like, as you say, you don't. I mean, I'm realizing this pattern more and more and more now as we go through horror films. And I guess I never really thought about it before, but there was always like one scene where everybody and their brother dies, like right to in the third act. Yeah. And I just, I I guess I, I'm always underestimating these scenes <laughs> and I need to learn my lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just go forwards now thinking that there's at least one of these scenes in every movie. Just <laughs> so basically add 10 to any uh, number that we can think exactly. of. Exactly. So we can discuss the catacomb kills now. I counted 11 just in the catacombs. So I'm afraid 
<laughs> I'm afraid. I mean, do either of you contest that? Are you are you okay with that? Are you at peace with that? I'm not at peace with it, but I can't contest it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I won't contest it. You're you're the crypt keeper, Dan. Let's go with eleven. But you know what, though, those are such fun moments because I feel like this whole film is one self-referential joke that kind of just keeps circling back around on itself. And everything is tied up. There are no loose ends. Mm. There's so much payoff. There's a joke, you know, there's jokes that are set up in the first, literally like the first five minutes of the film that come back around again. And all of these deaths really play to that. I feel like one of my favorite scenes that we kind of, we just, we didn't really talk about in depth earlier is like when he first goes to the pub and he's just kicking all the underage kids out. Um, I love that. The, the best joke and the most memorable joke in this film is when's your birthday? And it's like November 22nd or whatever. And he goes, what year? Oh, every year. Um, and and like he thinks, you know, he actually wants justice for all these people who are doing these misdemeanors, but he obviously doesn't mean death. Uh, so I just think it's really fun how it comes back around again. The, the screenplay is so tight on this. And I think... I mean, that segues quite well into this final big action scene because the film is kind of a parody uh, and Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who wrote the screenplay, have been very open about this. It's a parody of these like uh, action, American action movies like um, Point Break, that they obviously overtly reference, but other ones. And they parody it, but then in this final action scene, it's actually really good and entertaining and it could be in a good action movie. Uh, like the set pieces and the kills... I mean, and sorry, there are no kills in this action sequence. I should be clear about that. But there are some moments like when um, I think a, a bear trap falls on someone's head. So good. Things like that. It's it's just funny and action. It's the perfect balance. Yeah, I think a lot of parody films go so far that they just lose any kind of sense of identity, like outside of the fact that they're a parody film. But this film balances it so beautifully because... It creates, I mean, it creates very real characters in Angel and Butterman and their beautiful bromance makes you care about both of them, you know, as a, as a couple, but also as individuals in this final scene. So you're really, you're really, the stakes are high, even though you kind of know it's, it's silly because you care about them. You've really been through the ringer with them. Definitely. And again, that's something that the, these films are also good at. It's the same in Shaun of the Dead when towards the end he's, he loses his mum and then his best friend. And Edgar Wright is never afraid to take his films seriously as well as have fun with stuff. So I think, yeah, you're right. This movie is is still as successful and, and loved as it was back when it was first released because it's just a really good action film and a really good story as well as being a good comedy. Absolutely. And there is a very big emotional climax towards the end when they reach the model village. They have that show down with Skinner and uh, Danny's dad Frank I mean the way Skinner kind of not he doesn't die but the way he gets stuck is is so good this is another scene where I had a similar reaction to when Tim Messenger died I'm just like oh yeah uh, it's getting that spire through the bottom of his chin through his mouth and out of his mouth do we have any thoughts on this it's not it's not a kill but it's something uh no it feels like he's like a fish on a hook and he's finally been caught that's how I always sort of, I don't know if that's like supposed to be the metaphor, but to me, having him die almost wouldn't be satisfactory enough and having him be in colossal pain <laughs> is, is more fun. Definitely. And, and and also just being killed or not killed, but being maimed by his own miniature village, I suppose, is there's something quite fun there about that and about that kind of small town mentality. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, and then we have Frank Butterman trying to get away, but is stopped with the help of the swan that was uh, 
present earlier on in the story <laughs> and everything gets resolved quite nicely i mean there aren't any deaths at this point because there's a little montage of everyone all the townsfolk that they fought about a scene or two earlier getting um their pictures taken their mug shots and being processed so no one dies that i'm aware of this final little uh, epilogue scene where they're all doing the paperwork everything's happy and jolly does anything happen in this scene of note ali uh, no, nothing at all. It just sort of ends and then it's over and it's beautiful. There we go. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, so I, I like, once again, as we were saying before, there's jokes that keep coming back around. And I feel like they've had uh, one of the other little beautiful moments in earlier in the film is Argus Filch shows up. Uh, I don't know the actor's name. That's how I know him. Uh, and he, I love that he and then the one policeman on the forest, like, they speak West Country and that's what they speak and Angel can't understand them. And so they sort of just, it reminded me of, if you guys are fans of uh, King of the Hill, there's that one character in Hank's posse that is so Texan that whenever he speaks, you can't really understand what he's saying, but everyone else around him just can. Right. What did he say? said, as you say, he only chopped him down because he couldn't see the view no more. What's he moaning about? What did he say? He said an edge is an edge. He only chopped it down because it spoiled his view. What's Reaper moaning about? Right. Look, I appreciate your position, Mr. Webley, but you can't go around chopping down other people's hedges without permission. Ah, bones. Ah, Yes, I suppose. Thank you. Right. All right. I love that he's kind of keeping this huge artillery, including this sea mine from the war. And, I mean, I don't know how intelligent it was to keep, even if they thought that it was completely defunct to put it into the uh uh what is it the room where they keep the evidence room but yeah so that so that mine comes back around again and surprise surprise but it wasn't completely dormant it was still ticking and it explodes and the whole police house or the whole police um office is just completely blown to smithereens tom tom weaver the head of the nwa creeps into the police force and yeah he um he kind of falls back onto the mine and kaboom. That makes it in total, including the catacomb kills, 18. Wow. I did. I had to do some research because I see a lot of these are kind of contentious and I wanted to see what other people thought. People put higher, people put lower. So I think I saw someone put 23. Others went lower, but I my one is going to be 18. So actually, we did pretty well because you added 11 from the catacombs. So if you take, <laughs> if you take 11 off that 18, you got seven. Well, that is a very good point, Mike. And I think, <laughs> I think that if you were feeling really generous today, Dan... <laughs> <laughs> no, just Although kidding. Dan, Dan, Dan maybe will uh, will use will will take the points. I imagine. Yeah, I need the points. That's why <laughs> Ali sent them to me the other day. Was it two for Mike? Two points for Mike. Two points for Ali. One for me. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I think it's in everyone's best interest if we say it's eighteen. I get the point, and then we're all even, Stephen. Ooh. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Two for everyone there we have it hot fuzz do we have any final remarks oh i feel like we could talk about so much i'd love to talk more about the cast and just some of our favorite moments from the film because i feel like like you've done a beautiful job of succinctly kind of telling us uh the the plot of this film when it is it's a long two-hour film that really i mean with a normal director would have taken three hours or four hours to tell the story but edgar wright really crams it in so 
there's a lot that has to be kind of, you know, pushed by the wayside when talking about it. But the ensemble cast is so great. And there's so many wonderful cameos. There's just some some really hilarious moments that I I, I think we skipped over the um in the action sequence towards the end. I think my favorite part of that action sequence takes place in the grocery store. Or I shouldn't say grocery store because that's a very American thing to say. But like the what is the the brand? Because that's not even in existence anymore that oh it's the summer summerfield supermarket yeah yeah which was a which was a legit a supermarket chain back in the day but doesn't exist anymore i know we looked it up it, it went defunct in 2011 oh poor old so. summerfield yeah and it was because of this film no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm sure that there were a lot of cameos that were lost to me but one that i was because my my partner seen this film so many times like he was pointing them out to me as we were going and there's like a moment where both uh simon Pegg's mother and edgar wright's mother uh they're because the town village people who are coming through to vote on village of the year and they're coming through and they kind of see the carnage as they're going through the two women in that are their mothers which of course you wouldn't know um, but it's a fun little thing when you do know. I didn't know that one. It's really sweet. And I, I do think, and they, they do a good job in this one of subtly referencing their own stuff as well. I think that maybe in the world's end, it gets a little bit too, let's reference ourselves. <laughs> but with this one, I think they get a good balance. Obviously, there's the Cornetto reference. There is a moment, I think, when they see Shaun of the Dead in like a bargain bin of DVDs. Uh, and then there's always and my favorite one of my favorite shows of all time is Spaced and for me it's still my favorite thing that Edgar Wright has ever done and I love it whenever I see car, the cast from Spaced pop up um, in these films so we've got um, Marsha from Spaced who is I think working in the hotel and yeah little cameos like that always make me happy and you also have uh, Kate Blanchett early on yes also I was going to say her, th- that whole scene I mean now that we're living in a pandemic world that scene felt particularly apt because they're wearing hazmat suits and masks <laughs> yeah. um and i just it was it was just funny because i was thinking oh yeah this is what the world will be like now you could be speaking to Kate blanchett you wouldn't even know exactly so there we go a first for the podcast in terms of covering a comedy film first and foremost with horror inflections 18 kills if you want to uh, live and experience more Kill Count stuff, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Kill Count Pod on both of those. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Hope to catch you in the next one. Kill Count Podcast is hosted by Dan Yakuno, Mike Munzer, and Ali Penelope. Produced by Jake Cunningham, Jake Yard, Ali, Dan, and Mike. Edited by Jamie Maisner, Charlie Grace, and Joe Bond. Artwork by Ugnad Dereshkevichuda. If you're still tuned in, you know what's coming. It's a tasty little horror haiku from Ali Penelope. Yes. Are you guys ready? So ready. Okay. A widower mourns. A boy is not what he seems. A haunted house burns. Ooh, beautifully written, Ali. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any clue? Do you want me to read it again? One more time, please, yeah. I I think I know what it is, but yeah, read it again. Okay. Uh, A widower mourns. A boy is not what he seems. A haunted house burns. I'm so bad at guessing these. (laughs) Mike's feeling... I can tell Mike's excited. Uh, This is one of my all-time favorite films, but yeah. Okay. I I hope we're on the same page. (laughs) Oh, I I hope we are. Maybe we're not, but um, if it's the film, I think it is. Uh, What do you think it is, Mike? I think it's The Changeling from 1980. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Dan, have you seen The Changeling? I thought The Changeling was with Angelina Jolie. Oh, Dan. Oh, Dan. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh my god. Shane if you Chain, your seen, name is Dan. That's not the movie. If you haven't seen the original The Changeling, go and watch it immediately, Dan, because it's incredible. It's a different story. Angelina Jolie's story is, I think it's based off of the real life story of a of a child that was kidnapped. The The Changeling from 1980, starring the amazing George C. Scott, uh, is a haunted house film. It's a ghost story. And it is so beautifully told. The set pieces are amazing. Um, it's really about grief and mourning and rediscovering yourself. And it's it's a great film. It's creepy as hell as well. It's so good. It is. That wheelchair. The wheelchair, the bouncing red ball down the stairs. Mm. There's so many iconic moments. It's great. I've added it to my list. Very nice haiku as well. Really nice haiku. Thank you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.